Welcome to the show. In this one, I have a conversation with professional snowboarder Ben Bogart. Ben grew up in Anchorage, Alaska. He played hockey for Bartlett High School, but mainly he snowboarded. I've known Ben for most of my life, and he's always been a fast learner. So it wasn't long after he started snowboarding that he was getting shots in J.B. Deuce snowboard and skateboard videos in the 90s and early 2000s. He later became a fixture in the Think Think films. He credits, among others, Jesse Bertner of Think Think and Sean Genovese of Dinosaurs Will Die Snowboards for always believing in him. Ben's 36 years old now. He's still snowboarding, still coaching, and still the happy guy he's always been. Okay, time to give the Crude Company men a shout out. These are the people who have subscribed to the Crude Patreon for $50 or more. Trina Duber. Seward Brewing Company. Crystal Liska, Derek Adolph, Blue and Gold Board Shop, Sharon Liska, Carly Mortensen, and Alaska Surf Adventure. Thank you to all the Crude Patreon subscribers. This podcast wouldn't be possible without you. If you subscribe to the Crude Patreon, thank you. Your money helps keep these conversations going. So if you enjoy this podcast, you can subscribe at www.patreon.com slash crude magazine that's patreon.com slash crude magazine and pick the subscription tier that works for you okay back to ben bogart for those listeners who grew up during those old borderline alaska snow and skate days this conversation is a trip down memory lane if you still recall years of your childhood based on what snowboard videos came out that year then you'll be right at home If you weren't a part of that time, then all you really need to know is that those days symbolize a period of great adventuring growth in the Alaska snowboard and skateboard scene. And Ben represents how so many kids felt during that time, and how it continues to affect them well into adulthood. So here he is, Ben Bogart. (laughs) This red light right here, it means we're recording. Okay, fired up. Crude Conversations. Listen more than you talk. Go to work! Should I just start recording? Well, yeah. Bogart? As a matter of fact, no, because I'm about to say some. No, I'm just kidding. Yes. Of course, <laughs> yeah. We were, I mean, we were just talking about the, uh, the rated X situations in the lower 48. Now I'm up here in Alaska and I'm glad to be here what do you mean the rated x oh it's just everywhere down there you know even in the uh salt lake city district they have all sorts of massage parlors popping up you know yeah i didn't know that mm. so what do you want to talk about you man it's been a long time <laughs> no i'm just joking that's not how this you works like got taller you know you're all grown up teaching kids i'm proud of you thanks man Sick. appreciate it uh, you know i haven't done an interview in freaking years so that's ought to be interesting yeah like you were saying dude how long has it been since we last hung out yeah i want to say like oh easily over a decade easily. yeah i mean even from the days of think think and um you know whenever us we would come up to uh film and and stuff after i moved out to lower 48 tahoe and whatnot you'd always link up with us when we'd come back up in like march and 
that had to have been at least like 10, 12 years ago. I mean, maybe I might've seen you since then, but I mean, we haven't really ever hung out or anything and it's sick to have this as an opportunity. It's awesome. Yeah, dude. I'm, I'm excited. I it's think... like just hanging out with a homie. It's yeah. great. You know, <laughs> in an interview. So have you been? I can't complain. Been good. It's been a great, uh, last couple of years. It's been a great decade. Um, still snowboarding, still work with Sean and Jeff at dinosaurs. Um, just been kind of at their bay and doing as much as I can to promote those guys. And, um, uh, a couple of old guys that we used to ride with McCarthy and, you know, it's great to see people that we actually used to ride with just falling into the industry. Like he's doing six, eight, six, Burtner was doing lib tech thing. Thank has evolved into falling leaf. It's just cool to see everything kind of just manifest itself just because all of these people had it in them, you know, and it's just great to see how these past couple of years has taken like those other people into the same line of work, but we all get to still hang out, be together. So you still hang out with, uh, you mentioned Pat McCarthy. Uh, yeah. Well, every time I get a chance to, you normally I just see him like at the trade shows during business stuff, or if I go up to Washington, I'll see him. But I mean, we don't run into each other that often, but still stay in contact. Um, he hooks me up with gear, uh, when he can. And I don't know, it's just cool to have personal relationships with everybody that's just kind of doing it. You know, he's like the marketing manager for 686, which is huge. He hooked up uh, one of the boats on Deadliest Catch um, with the whole the whole crew is running 686. No way. The, yeah, on one of the Deadliest Catch uh, ships. I'm not sure which ship it was but or what season. But yeah, it was only, it was probably like three years back. And so all these guys are out there just getting face shots in the Arctic Sea, <laughs> 686. And what better place to test your product, I guess. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So as I was thinking about how to start this conversation off, I was like, it could, it could go so many different ways. <laughs> I kept thinking about like, uh, you know, maybe asking you about, you know, what are you doing now? Uh, which we'll get to, you know, right. yeah. uh, but I was like, um, eventually wrote this down. I was like, I was really excited about this. I was so, like, I think this is going to be a fun jump off point. So, do you remember taking the bus from Anchorage out to Alaska when we oh, were kids? Absolutely. I remember going, I remember recording tracks off of the radio onto a cassette and putting it in my Walkman and sitting there on that bumpy road or on that bumpy bus or waking up early in the morning getting dropped off by our parents. They were just like, all right, here's $15 for food, $22, $22 for a lift ticket, I'm pretty sure is what it was. Okay, yeah. At Alaska. And they would just be like, all right, if you don't get back on the bus, you're going to be in Girdwood tonight. Like, that's what's <laughs> going to happen. And yeah, you, me, Gus, uh, Sonny, mm -hmm. um, gosh, who else? I mean, just a handful of kids like that couldn't drive, just got cut loose. The last frontier is pretty <laughs> sick, actually. At uh, the Castle on O'Malley, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Castle on O'Malley. And like, what was that? Like, ooh, up to you. Oh, I think it might have been Peter Glenn. Oh, oh, yeah. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it was cool. The bus. Yeah. The bus, the bus was that cool. Whole yeah. It was sick, dude. Yeah, that it was. was like the best. I mean, I don't know if you could, you could probably pull that off right now. I just definitely a lot more like, you know, red tape. Yeah. A lot more red tape for sure. Yeah. But I, you can still pull that off, I feel like. But yes, I do remember that. And that was an incredible moment for every one of us. We were just like, 
kind of on our own at a pretty young age, I feel like, when we were going out and doing that. And then we would go over to the gullies, you know, we would, I mean, God forbid it was good enough snow to go to Christmas shoot. But yeah, it would be a bunch of like young teenage kids cut loose in like a pretty gnarly mountain. Alaska is like not, I mean, it's not like hilltop by any means, Mm -hmm. but it's, um, it's cool. Just like, just that concept. And I was actually talking about that with my mom while I was visiting. She was like, oh, do you remember going to O'Malley at 730 in the morning? And I was like, oh yeah, definitely. (laughs) It was sick. Man, those were great times. That was so fun. What do you remember most about those those days? Oh man, definitely your dad. Um, when we weren't taking the bus, getting rides up from your dad to Alieska. Yeah, it was just, there was like a, every single seat in the car was full. Your dad wouldn't say much. He was just like, all right, buckle up. <laughs> We're going to send it. First chair. <laughs> first tram. Or first tram. Yeah, first chair, tram, whichever one would open first. Uh, sometimes they would be bombing uh, North Face mm-hmm. uh, before they even, you know, before they could open it. But yeah. That, I mean, from, that was, and you know, I remember, I was was super into snowboarding and I still knew you guys and we were still doing those USASA contests. There's like hand dug half pipe. We were like, this is the greatest thing ever. It was like a 90 degree wall who just smashes our face into it. And we called a crippler. (laughs) We didn't even get upside down. Um, Yeah. And there would be a newspaper crews up there like middle of Alieska, just like videotaping us like those news reporters are pretty crazy to be there but um yeah i remember there was i can't even remember how long it was ago maybe like 99 i want to say it was a usasa competition and it was at the main lodge at Alieska, and we were all hanging out and i think i might have got like something like i squeaked in at third place or something at a at a it was a was a border cross. Yeah, it was a border cross. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember the first three gates were just all in a row, and it was just directly through a mobile field. <laughs> and it was like, all right, here's the starting gate. And like you go one gate, two gate, three gate, and it was all these moguls. And like it was just one out of four people would just make it. And at the end of that, everybody was getting the awards and stuff. And I remember your dad coming up and he's like, Did you get your Christmas package? And I was like, what? Cause I, cause your dad was part of, you know, he's on a borderline and I was always, you know, that was the, that was the team. Those are the guys. And yeah, that was just psyched on all that. And I'm like, what do you mean? And he's like, ah, I got out of the car, come out to the car. And I'm just like walking like nobody else, just me and your dad. Maybe I think big Mark Thompson might've been walking around somewhere, but. <laughs> he's walking around somewhere <laughs> yeah he's probably in the parking lot doing something i probably saw him wave to him you know killer b was out there randazzo was just sitting on the chairlift looking back at us in the parking lot i'm sure but um yeah i, I just remember him saying you met, did you get your christmas package and uh i i didn't know what that meant and then he he brought me out to his truck and just gave me like a hoodie and uh uh t-shirt like a crew one that was all stitched and a hat and i showed up on monday at school and every single kid was just like what like you made the team yeah and i just didn't even know he's like i thought you were already on the team (laughs) and i just like i wanted to like ask your dad so bad if there was any like tryouts or something you know and he just totally got like had a box of stuff and was just like did you get your christmas package and i was just 
I didn't say anything. I was just like, but yeah, I remember that you, your dad riding with you guys at Alaska bunch. That's what I remember mostly about just the youth part of that section of growing up, I guess. Yeah. You were a huge part of it. You Gus, I mean, we were coattailing like D's and killer B and Randazza. We were, we were coattailing them pretty hard. But we were like a couple steps behind them before we got anywhere close to where they were. What did I remember? Killer B would have the illest front cork fives. Yeah. And just dumping them like JP Walker. And I was just like blown away. Like that was the first like coattailing those guys with you guys was probably the biggest, some of the biggest memories. And Brady Boy, I was wanting- Brady Farr. Brady Farr, yes. Yeah. Brady Farr, I was wanting to go, you know, hike up something and build something. He was pretty ambitious too. But yeah, we had a pretty tight crew up here for a long time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess I remember that your dad- Borderline Alaska, um, the crew that we rolled with, Diamond Center. Diamond Center, just <sighs> that was another loitering one. so hard. So like I don't even know if yeah. I mean, we were the only place that we were allowed to loiter, I'm pretty sure. And Matt Eastman was like Who was the manager? Who was the manager of Borderline yeah. at the time? And um he was just so incredible, man. And I remember actually I was I just uh applied to work there and he was like, All right, you gotta Grip a deck in a minute 30 and you got the job. I was just sweating bullets. <laughs> and obviously, you know, it's like you could get, you could probably do it in a minute 30, but for a kid who had no idea what was going on, he's just sitting there laughing. And, and had you gripped decks like, before? No, no, definitely. <laughs> no. I think he had gripped my deck every single time, pretty sure. But uh, yeah, it was just incredible. Like I just remember hanging out at the Diamond Center right across from, what was that, JC Penney's? I, I think, think it was Got Shocks. Got Shocks, and you know what was out in front of Got Shocks, right? Before All the jewelry. That's right. <laughs> and then that's when they started calling me some food court gangster. I think, or like, because you were buying all the jewelry. I was there? buying all the fake jewelry there. The, I would see the stuff at Got Shocks, and I would go to the center kiosk and buy the same thing for twenty bucks instead of what was in the case for like two hundred. I think I remember buying a like a silver tooth or something like that and like walking around with some stupid silver tooth in my face like like showing up like having all the guys like like making fun of me like at the you know i don't even know man it was just tupac bandanas and fake gold teeth for me <laughs> uh, going to see clayton at mammoth music like oh my gosh yeah uh, diamond center is a huge part of it too uh, yeah. loitering at its finest i remember you had a uh, I remember buying it with you, the grenade necklace, the silver grenade necklace with the fake diamonds. Yes, I do remember when we went to that like fashion city, I think, or something on like Debar. that. On Debar. On Debar, yeah. Right by that Cars. And there was, I think that was like the first time I'd ever seen a store that wasn't like in the center of a mall that had all that stuff. Yeah. And I just pretty much like walked there almost every like at least twice a week. <laughs> I didn't buy anything, but I would just be amongst it. And I think that just like soaked into my skin. I don't think I've had a day without a chain around my neck since. <laughs> you got one on right now? Uh, yeah. It's a new one. It's a box link. <laughs> I don't know. I like it. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like naked without one, sort of. So we were talking about that that time, that yeah. kind of era, you know, yeah. with the competitions at Alaska and at Hilltop, going out on missions and getting shots, borderline summer camp. 
Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like having the season, you know, being around Jesse when he was around here a lot more often. Bertner. Bertner. Um, Kirk Steinbaugh, a little bit older. Uh, Robbie Gonzalez. Um, these guys. Just being around, riding with them, because they were still in Alaska. And then Bertner had, Jesse Bertner had already gone down to uh, Washington. So he would come up every once in a while and, you know, we'd get a phone call and we'd all hang out. And then once June came around, everybody came. It was like Jason Borgstead came and everybody from Fairbanks would come down. And all the people from Washington, like, uh, I mean, just like courier and and um i mean there's chris shepherd would come down it was and, like a pilgrimage we yeah. all came back we all came back and i remember uh just i mean it was just the wild west you know it was and it was so great just you could see everything it was all located in the glacier bowl up at alaska and i mean the the snowboard camp was just amazing i mean we had mikey LeBlanc up there we had scotty, uh, scotty whitlake. whitlake up there like andy forgash you know like andy wright the photographer you know all those guys have been up there mm -hmm. and uh i think maybe even devin walsh might have came up at some point but um i mean i may be wrong but it was just such a such an incredible thing that it would trickle down and people from the lower 48 would hear about it and yeah it was like a wild west sort of and we had that Red Bull tent, made it look so official. It was sick. <laughs> <laughs> At one point, we had that like big lake and that guy on acid hiked all the way to the top and like <laughs> took his clothes off and snowboarded down and almost killed himself. <laughs> and then <laughs> took a skinny dip in the, in the glacier water. And uh, I mean, I, I vaguely remember this guy. Yeah. I mean that. So I, he, he just showed up on on acid. He and... showed up, and we don't know if he was or not. But I mean, obviously the water's cold, and he wasn't feeling a single cent of it. Yeah. So I mean, he was, you know, on another. He was on another level for sure. But yeah, we had, we I was there as kids. Um, I mean, like like I was a kid, you know. And there was kids way younger than me, and uh, you know, other guys that were running, helped running the camp. The uh, the diggers, the digger crew. Um. And yeah, we just saw this guy walking around. We were just like, what this, what's this guy doing? Is he part of camp? Like, we don't recognize him at all. We couldn't <laughs> see that far. And yeah, for sure, he's just like Billy Goating up there and took all of his clothes off. And it's just the whole camp stopped. And we were just like, is this guy, we're going to watch this guy die right now. For sure. Because he was at the top of Glacier Bowl. We don't normally go up there. Like, not even during the wintertime. It's like pretty gnarly up there. And yeah. he's just cruising. And uh, I can't remember that the uh the legendary ski patrol guy with the huge white beard and the white mustache he was just like super nice i can't even remember his name but he had been there for years and years but he was the guy who like sledded him out you know like he wasn't hurt or anything but he had to get him off the mountain and then i just that borderline was such a great time it was so good for kids up here because there was not really that much for them to get down to lower 48 and go to those camps those things were so expensive and it was just so cool just having all that stuff there. Having Colton be on the lip of the jump, sucking the Kool-Aid off it. You My know? brother. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we put Of who he just had his birthday. Yeah. I, I saw his happy birthday, Colton. <laughs> Back in June. Back in, oh, okay, yeah. 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 Oh, well, <laughs> I don't know if that's, yeah, but he was sucking Kool-Aid off of the big jump because that's what we used when it was flat light to mark off the big jump. 
And I think I remember Mark Landvik saying, like, Colton, get off the lip. And he just turned around, like, kind of like, <laughs> kind of like doggy style. <laughs> and he's like, no. And we'd have to shut the jump down until he would, like, be done sucking the Kool-Aid out of the lip of the jump. <laughs> and it's just, ah, oh, man, you know, it all comes back when you start talking about it. But, yeah, those are things you can't forget for sure. I'm trying to remember. I think it was Ashley Call or it was Ryan yep. Sturgeon who, who oh, blew out, their, oh, blew out their shoulder and the, um, the ski patrol had to go up and get them. Yeah. And they I were- I almost want to say coming, it was Ryan Sturgeon. I think it was Ryan, actually. Yeah. I think you're right. And it was coming down and then they hit some chatter and then the thing just flipped over. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was Ryan because I remember because he would not let that go because, of course, you know, Ryan, Ashley's kind of like- it's all good, man. Like he's been Brian. I'm sure probably just he's probably not not hyped. But <laughs> I mean, can you imagine blowing your shoulder out and then and just flipped going, over in the toboggan, <laughs> just like through the? <laughs> I mean, and this isn't even going to be able to cover it. There's no, there's no way. I mean, we've got skate park days out there. Uh, yeah, Lando's like, hip, Lando's hip, uh, legendary hip. Um, someday will be recreated um somehow somewhere and he'll hit it um yeah the big jobs having people like that have that aren't even from alaska come up there like mccarthy would and uh genevieve's and um just i don't know you know like those guys became part of our crew you mm -hmm. know those were like part like partial alaskans you know yeah. they come up every year and uh like sean would be up there and, and mccarthy and you know just those boys and then you got josh thompson just up there taking photos of all of us which was really cool you know mm -hmm. that guy was awesome and mike mole i remember mike mole was the tram operator yeah and uh, i don't know if he's gonna get in trouble. well like, obviously he's not getting in trouble he doesn't work there anymore but he let me and brady up on the on the tram one time during borderline camp um to go hit that rail at uh the tram rail the um, mystery metal one the, yeah we still i we was just a shot in the dark it was like all right we're gonna either have a couple of teeth left on the ground or someone's gonna lace it and i think brady laced it first try and then i went right after him and got lucky but and this was the the down flat down at the top of the tram the double yeah the double barrel down flat down at the top of the tram right when you get off at Alaska. and um and at the time we had set it up obviously there was no bungees we had to set up like tables so we were getting all these tables and people were i think it was a wedding party up there and it was like shrimp cocktails and a bunch left over and they're like you want this stuff and of course gary milton's like hell yeah because so, gary was filming because gary was filming the shot and uh i think it was for thunk was the year that the thunk video came out the first think bank movie and uh i think it was 2004 and uh yeah so gary's sitting there eating shrimp cocktails just sitting there just happier than he could possibly ever be because he's i think he just started filming uh snowboarding at the time and he had lots of passion for it and it was just us up there and you know big ups to mike mole for hooking it up like for us to hit that thing i'm not sure if i mean maybe matt i think matt wild hit it did he not i think or, he might have yeah he might have hit it again or something like that but it's pretty few and far between like not many people have hit it i think yeah. maybe a skier or two has hit it i i wouldn't know that um but i mean you know I've still had a lot of skier friends too, you know, but I, I don't know if, if uh, I mean, I'm sure they probably have. I've seen actually some footage from like uh, Bobby Brown and some of those guys that I've, I've met uh, throughout the years in the lower 48 and they've come up and made trips to Alyeska and I've seen them actually make some pretty sick edits 
like recent Red Bull edits, like from them making trips up here, probably without any knowledge of like the, like probably a little bit, but I mean, just it's, it was just pretty cool to see people riding Alyeska and seeing like how far the video uh, content has come individually. Like you don't necessarily need to have someone just a filmer anymore. Mm -hmm. You can all go out together and you got drones people can buy. And it's just cool to see it like in a different light or see people like riding the resort we grew up on, like, and see it documented like that now, you know, because we all knew it like chatterbox, our own visual, like flat light, didn't matter, wet snow, you know, like that was just our life growing up, but it was just cool to see like it videotaped or downloaded i guess if that's what you want to do <laughs> videotape <laughs> videotape these days <laughs> but uh yeah i don't know it's just cool to see like all that kind of stuff like these guys are going to get up to alaska and ride this stuff it's cool to watch so but yeah i'm pretty sure pretty sure like brady handful of skiers maybe like one or two brady Farr is definitely the one who did it first i will say that but um do you remember when Brady Farr front-sided that 100-foot long rail up uh, in the Glacier Bowl. I remember him doing that with his hands on his hips, I'm pretty sure. He, like, did it halfway through and, like, put his hands on his hips for a second. But what that was in the Borderline recap, I think, in one of the uh, Think Tank movies, I feel like. So what happened was one of the filmers, and I, I don't know if it was Gary or if it was Mertz, but they were running for their camera because they were, like, you know, trying to capture him you know doing the rail because nobody had done it yet yeah of course brady yeah of course brady's gonna sit there and just like i mean i've seen i've seen that kid do some crazy stuff man i mean even even living in reno and seeing that yeah but i do remember him front boarding that that was actually way before it's time i mean that kid that kid's pretty darn good i remember and yeah, he's he's a good kid, man. Mr. Burns. <laughs> Mr. <that> guy. Burns. <laughs> <laughs> he's married now. Yeah, I know. Yeah, he's cool. Yeah, shout out to Brady. Shout out to Brady Farr, man. Big ups. Way to get hitched. <laughs> I think he's still here, right? Yeah, he's still here. Nice. So is there anything else we wanted to say about Borderline Camp? I mean, do we have any like specific stories? Uh, what was that? Spicoli? Remember when he broke the box? So I reposted it maybe a year ago I or didn't, a no. year and a half ago onto Crude because somebody like filmed it. Because his name wasn't Spicoli, but we called him Spicoli because yeah. it was totally a Spicoli. But it was something close to that. I can't remember what his actual... So what happened? I think he was trying the first 450 ever tried. Onto a box. Onto a box. I think what was... Um, uh, I can't remember his name, but uh, that guy would do 450s all the time onto boxes. And uh, he had a big afro. Oh, Jason Eastman. Eastman. Oh, yeah. Eastman rules. Eastman, uh, legendary. Shout out to Jason Eastman, by yeah, the yeah. way. Um, legendary. I, he probably was one of the first people besides KJ, Kevin Jones, to do like 450s, like just some guy in Alaska's incredible back nine tail ever. I mm-hmm. um, think that's probably, I just, that guy would do 450s. And then here comes Spicoli. I think it was like a contest. It was like contest day. And uh, sure enough, he went full bore and he like landed like he like did a 450 like austin 316 and just <laughs> completely suplexed the box 
And I remember your dad was with just his like, back, with his back, his lower back. And I remember your your dad is like, "Why well, I gotta go break the box?" <laughs> and he's just like, he was fine, like he wasn't hurt. Yeah, because he's kind of he's a bigger he's dude, a big dude. Yeah, he was like, like he wasn't like large, like fat by any means. He was just like ripped. Yeah, yeah. And he just just I, I couldn't believe it. We all thought he broke his back. Yeah, Bertner was like right there with the fisheye lens. And I think that was what that was two thousand and three. That was season for no reason or two thousand two or something. But okay. yeah, I remember that was. Uh, I remember that shot, and I just that was incredible. That was another borderline insane moment. You know what I just remembered, and I'm pretty sure this was one of your campers. Um, there was a two jump line, right? Yeah, and one was like kind of a, not a smaller jump, but like say a fifty footer that led to a seventy footer, right? Yeah, the double line. We had 70-foot jumps there. That was fun. Uh, yeah, anyways. Yeah, go ahead. So I'm up here uh, waiting to hit the jump, and there's this kid. Must have been maybe 10 or 11 years old. Right. And this kid didn't tie his boots tight the entire camp. And I remember you I would remember, tie his boots. I, rem- I, couldn't, I couldn't take it anymore. <laughs> and the kid wouldn't do it. He's just like – because he was just like always ready – to not like he was like I just I don't want to snowboard right now and he would just take his boots off and walk around barefoot in the snow and I would have to tie his boots down because I was like dude you got to tie your boots man you can't you're gonna fly out of your board's gonna stay on the lip and you're gonna fly off of that thing like a spider monkey you know like and that's basically what happened yeah. so he bombs it and I remember looking at him and I'm like oh that's the the kid that doesn't tie his boots very tight and he's pointing <laughs> it right and then he hits the jump and dude he he's taco mid air right he's already tacoed I'm and good he, style if you're a gymnast yeah. I mean in the gym for sure but not on a glacier and his his boots and his board fly off so he is he is bored and bootless in the air barefoot and like he, tacos on the knuckle of the jump and everybody it was one of those moments where everybody in the glacier bowl was like oh and i'm just sitting there like yeah it's my kid in the same way that spicoli yeah the 450 and looked like he broke his back and Uh like died yeah this kid i still have nightmares about it to this day where i'm like that kid almost died and he's yeah i mean I, it happens a lot, you know, like at whatever camp you go to, but that kind of stuff is that stuff you never forget, you know, mm-hmm. like, and that happens anywhere you go. It's just cool to have a catalyst to be able to take like all these kids. And it was such a great place to have everybody come together. It was just like cool to have everybody. Like I was saying earlier, it was just really cool to have. And everybody was looking forward to that time of year. Everybody was looking forward to, okay, June 1st, coming up, you know, like, and it was like, I remember we had RVs at one point. Your dad had rented like three RVs and that was like where the older kids would stay with Jesse Bertner and like, and then I, I just, it was just such a, like a wild west type of lifestyle, which was like, it just made us kids like grow up and like be like, I remember Jake trying to get, like, I remember Jake got me once. Your brother, My brother, right? Yeah. Your brother. Got me with a ha- habanero pepper. Yeah. Got me with a habanero pepper. It was like the, I think I just got my license and I had this little green Subaru. And I think it was like 11 o'clock or like 12 o'clock in the morning or whatever. And I had to snowboard the next day, obviously, but he got me with a habanero or jalapeno challenge. It was a habanero. A habanero challenge. Yeah. And I drove, I drank a vanilla Coke 
because I thought that would help. Yeah. And I puked it all up and I can never drink a single vanilla Coke ever again. I drove out to Bird Creek campsite and just curled up in a ball in the back of my, I didn't want anybody to see me. And I just, I don't even know if anybody really knows about this, but I just. You went and hid because you felt so bad. Yeah, I I went and like an ostrich, stuck my head in the sand out in Bird Creek and just stayed there overnight. Made it on time the next morning, but I didn't sleep that entire night. That's for sure. Um, I remember that. I remember uh, because I wouldn't get out of bed. Jesse would duct tape me to the, he's like, all right, if you're not going to go snow, because he was my coach before I started working there. He's like, all right, if you're not going to go snowboard, you're going to stay right here for the whole day. And he would duct tape me to the bed in my sleeping bag <laughs> so I couldn't get out of the bed. And he would, him and uh, Chris Shepard would duct tape me to the, yeah, I think it was me and Cooley were staying in that. John uh, Cooley? Yeah, John Cooley were staying in that uh, in that bunk. And I remember I was just like, I don't want to get up. And he just duct tape me to the bed frame. And I, I, he finally let me go snowboard, but I mean, these just these things that uh, camp that you things. remember. Camp things. Uh, yeah. the, sandwich girls. Yeah. Yeah. Allison uh, Ford and uh, like Natsuko. Emily and Natsuko and yeah. I mean. Kelsey. Kelsey. Um, yeah. The sandwich girls. Uh, yeah. There's so many things. I remember just, yeah. The skate park, uh, Alaska State Bird is a Mosquito. I'm pretty sure that was like where they came from. Uh, the Girdwood skate contests. That was another thing. The Girdwood skate contests mm-hmm. because we had like Adrian, we had Micah and we had like uh, Adrian Williams and Micah Hollinger and, and, uh, Jerry Smythe mm-hmm. and, uh, and black. Ed, yeah. And black Evan Alvarez, you know, and like all these kids, those guys were just as much part of the borderline team as the snowboard side of everything. And, and, uh, that was when they would come. Mm-hmm. And they would come up and and we'd all get to, to get together. And that was even a bigger conglomeration of, of people. And it was just cool to see like that thing. It was like the Girdwood Skate Contest was huge. That was like the biggest thing that was happening in the Anchorage area, like on that day, I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure for kids. So that was another thing. That skate contest was huge. And uh, I think pretty sure every single, I think every kid lost about a pint of a pint of blood that day. <laughs> there were about 200 kids that lost like a pint of blood, 200 pints of blood exited bodies. That because day. of mosquitoes. Because of mosquitoes, yeah. strictly mosquitoes. <laughs> and what was interesting is that, of course, it's in Girdwood. Um, and of course, there are going to be locals. Um, thank you, by the way, locals of Girdwood for putting up with us for a couple of <laughs> years of antics and, and, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, as you start talking about it, everything starts coming back. So, yeah, and yeah. I did actually, my mom and I took a trip up to, uh, that's why it's a little easier to remember a lot of the locational stuff is because uh, we did just take a trip up Nostalgia Lane two days ago. And uh, Did anything hit you in specific? Um, yeah, the skate park, we stopped by there. Um, and uh, when I pulled up to the tram, I started getting like, memories of um all the cars pulling up in the morning um just that that tram parking lot with everybody getting their gear out for the day to go snowboard at mm-hmm. uh, alaska and for the sn- summer camp or whatnot but I, that was kind of coming back to me and just this the stuff that would happen you know around that area uh during camp camp vibes and stuff camp vibes camp vibes hashtag camp vibes ha oh. Maybe moving on from yeah. summer camp. Sure. Let's talk about going on missions to get, you know, the elusive shot. 
do any specific filming missions come to mind where the spot was maybe particularly challenging or you really had to go to battle to get a specific trick? Oh, man, you know, every time I get a every time I go to get a shot, it is a battle. I mean, I cannot tell you. I mean, I probably had like twice as long of a time timeline to fight like to uh go through for Burtner as everybody else cuz I mean, you know, it all looks good on paper, but when you're there, sometimes it takes like four time four hours to get a shot. Mm-hmm. And I was always that guy. I was always that guy to just be there forever trying like some stupid hard trick I probably had never done before at a spot that like I mean, sometimes I would get lucky, but earlier uh in the years, I remember going to like East High School when that East Ledge was out there. That was really cool because I remember seeing that on the cover of Transworld. It might have been Micah McGitney who got a cover of a front board or a front lip of some kind. Maybe Seth Hewitt, I can't remember. But some one of those guys came up and was hitting that thing. And I remember we'd hit it first, but we kind of didn't know how legit or what legitimacy it was at all. Because mm-hmm. we're, you know, like we grew up up here. And so it was just crazy to see like that being on and like knowing that you would hit that. So that was kind of cool to have the feeling of, but struggles, man, almost every time <laughs> I think maybe jumping was probably a pretty big struggle. I remember when Bertner would tell me, all right, we're going to take it a turn again. He's like, bring water and a shovel. <laughs> and Cause you'd forget. Cause I would, well, yeah, forgetful all the time. <laughs> worst. I was the worst. I mean, I was, and, and to showcase how bad I was, they used to sell 44 ounce big gulp or no, 64 ounce big gulps at 7-Eleven. Who shows up with two of those in his backpack? Not a water bottle. 7-Eleven big gulps <laughs> full of water. With a flimsy and top on. With a flimsy top. Yeah. With a <laughs> screw top where you could pop it open and still drink out of it. Yeah. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, mom's snow shovel, the push shovel, you know, the flat, the flat one. And he would just look at me and be like. I can't get mad at you for listening. (laughs) (laughs) He's grabbed all the wrong stuff. He's like, yeah, you got all the right stuff in the wrong package, bud. (laughs) He's like, well, you're hitting the jump last. And I'm like, thank God. (laughs) Cause I'm up there with, you know, like I I was up there with like, um, you know, Bertner's insane. I'm like hitting jumps for the first jump I ever hit was with Mark Landvik. And I mean, that was, and he had already been, you know, up a turn again, a turn again pass. Yes. And, uh, with Andre, big air Dre. Yeah. Spinelli. Um, yep. Spinelli. Uh, I think legend. And, um, yeah, it was just like, I remember getting the invite. He was like, all right, we're going to go to hit these jumps. Do you want to go? And obviously I had, you know, I was scared shitless and I was just like, I had to say yes, you know, or else like I was, you know, I wasn't nothing. I would have just. If I didn't say yes, I don't know what would have happened. But yeah, I mean, I remember that's what I felt. I I fell in love with just catching air too at that time, which was like super sick. I think the first couple of jumps, I never landed anything. I just tomahawked them most of the time. But um, <laughs> do you remember the trick you landed that first time? Uh yeah, I did a. I think the first trick I ever did in the backcountry was a front seven mute grab, which I don't think I've done for like over a decade. And then I think I remember doing that trick. I went back to a jump that Bertner had brought me to and they had left and the jump was still there. And I went and did that with like a couple of high school friends. And then I gave them the footage like on a mini DV tape that we had gotten. And uh, so I wasn't with him on the first backcountry jump, the legitimately sized one. 
and I gave him the mini DV tape. And then the first jump that we ever built, um, where I landed something in front of Bertner and Landvik was, I don't know which one it's called, but it's like right when you get to the top of the tree line and you turn left and there's that like big roller. And then the big, that roller landing was mm -hmm. also the run-in for the second jump, which was the one that I think uh, Andre Spinelli did like the back rodeo uh, five. And like, I think like Lando did like a front seven on it that was like incredible, like sunset. Um, and I did like a back seven, like off my toes, both hand drag, like five feet short, but I think he still like ran it. And then out of nowhere, I just got this like itch and did like a no grab cap nine and somehow landed it. And I didn't know what was going on, but that was just, I think that was where I got kind of addicted to going out with those guys every chance I could have to build a jump. I got better as the time went on, but um, it was a struggle for sure. Powder's hard, man. Powder's really tough. I mean, you know, some of these guys that are damn good at snowboarding get in the backcountry and can like get lucky for sure. But when you're growing up in Alaska, no parks, no built jumps for quote unquote, like practicing or training or whatever you want to call it. Like we were just wild west, you know, just carcass off a kicker. <laughs> so, I remember you, oh my gosh. Okay, so another <laughs> one of the most memorable moments to go back on was when you, you were so good at front rodeos. And I remember you had the white and red West Beach jacket on. Oh, and, this was a long time ago. Oh yeah. And you did a front rodeo and it was like, I think horseshoe was roped off and we had like tried to make the jump juiced so you could go over the rope and you totally front rodeoed under the rope and just took the whole thing <laughs> with you. I think I remember that. <laughs> and, you just, and it was so sick though. You were so good at front rodeos. And I just remember you doing it so perfect. And then I just see that rope go right under your nose. <laughs> just like, no. And it was like, plunk, 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 plunk. Like all the bamboo just kept, I uh, just, oh man, that was like one of, the, that was another huge memory of mine. Cause you were, you were damn good at that trick. I'll tell you what. I remember, um, I'm not sure if you were with us. I. I mean, it's hard to keep track it, of who was with who. Yeah, because they all blend together. But I remember um, Sonny was always really, Sonny Forshee was always really good at backside rodeos. Oh, yeah. He was like the first one I think I can remember, him and Draper. And he was like, um, didn't even tell us, like dropped in from this point we were stopping before we hit South Face. And we were, we were hitting it kind of high because if you go fast, you can go far. And it was a pow day. And, and you can go as far as you want on that thing. Exactly. And, and so he goes switch and we're like, oh, I wonder what he's going to do. And he just did the most perfect switch backside rodeo. I just, that kid is just, I couldn't even remember. I, I There's so many moments when that kid would just blow my mind. You just be like, oh yeah, because we wouldn't leave the ground all day. Mm -hmm. And then once that little crack in the sun came out, he was like, let's go. Like We would all just go straight to the half moon horseshoe. Mm -hmm. And then like going switch into a jump was like, no, like, yeah. we were like, no, like, that's not, we don't do that. Like, <laughs> you know, wait till June 1st when Borderline can't yeah, come exactly. <laughs> And here comes Sonny, just bat out of hell, just like switch back rodeo. And we were just like, what is going on? Like, we had never seen that, but I think we'd seen that in like. Videos. Yeah, like the resistance, you know, we would watch like, 
I like, I think I had my first video, I think was stopping grounds and it was like simple pleasures. But I mean, those, I mean like, yeah, like seeing Peter Lyon do back rodeo seven and then watching someone, you know, mm -hmm. like Sonny go up and just do the exact same thing right in front of you was just like, it was so incredibly crazy to see because that was what we were doing. We we're trying to be like those guys, you know, and like, because if you don't know what the hell it looks like when you're in the air, you're just like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we're just watching it happen. And we're like, whoa, that's so sick. I do remember Sonny doing that. It was so good at backside rodeos. Man. Yeah. Him and Ryan Sturgeon too was actually pretty Sturgeon good. Sturgeon was really good he at was backside really good rodeos. He was really good at backside rodeos. Yep. So Gary Milton, hmm. who you mentioned Gary. earlier, who used to be a snowboard videographer for Think Think and Videographs, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Or in Transworld. In Transworld. Yep. So he said to ask you about the time you switched 50-50, the cement ledge at Lawler Event Center at the University of Nevada, Reno. Oh my God, Lawler ledge. Yeah, the Lawler ledge. That was my checkout photo. Um, so obviously it was New Year's Day. So what happens New Year's Eve is, uh, <laughs> and I'm in Reno. Um, so we were... You're kind of hungover. Also, yeah, it was three sheets of the wind. I'm pretty sure in the morning. I think I could have probably, you know, had a sip of beer and have been right back where I was the morning or the night before. But <laughs> I, you know, that was the you know we were out there and and uh, I was I was pretty new, um, moved out of of Alaska, and so I had already had people like Kirk Steinbaum, and um, I had a pretty good crew from Alaska in Reno, and uh, Jed Hoffman was there. Mm -hmm. And he was actually one of the main guys when I first moved out. When I first moved out, Bertner convinced me. He said, hey, you got to move out of Alaska if you want to do anything. And I'm doing this Think Tank movie and you got to move out. You got to go to somewhere. And everybody's in Tahoe. Go to Tahoe. Move to Reno. So I think it was like the second year, maybe. Third year I moved out there. and Was that Cue the Birds? That was Cue the Birds year. And uh, yeah. And um, that was the year that we got that crazy storm. And uh, we actually lived in um, Tahoe Donner at that time. Gary Mertz, Michael Dresser, um, myself, and uh, and I think it was just one of those moments. And you, I for, lived there for a little bit, for a little bit, yeah, for a couple months, yeah, yeah. And um, it was just we had this crazy storm, and Bertner and Jen, and everybody was out there every once in a while periodically, but we were just there, and we. Okay, so long story short, we I wake up in the morning, right? And it's after the night of going out on New Year's night. And um, I get a phone call from Jed Hoffman in the morning. He's Well, I kind of already had an idea that he wanted to hit that ledge because mm -hmm. he said New Year's Day is going to be the only day. And this ledge is like insane. And I think because Jed was on something back then. Jed was like, I think he had like already almost set it up. Like, he was I, a machine. I th he was a machine. He did some of the gnarliest kink rails mm -hmm. I've ever seen in my life. Most of them were wood. Mm -hmm. And like the ones that were metal were like even gnarlier and bigger. And he was just, I mean, I think him and Ryan Hughes before, you know, like when he was, before he was editor of Transworld, photo editor, um, that was his guy. It was like Hughes and Jed Hoffman and whoever else was around there, Zach Diamond. Uh, I think Robbie So was floating around uh, with our crew every once in a while. He was doing Neo Proto stuff. Um, but I remember, uh, not to interrupt, but no, I remember me, Gary, Gus Engel went to Fairbanks for, for a trip. Oh, and Mark Thompson. And 
because Jed was like, Fairbanks is holding. Yeah. Because that's where he's from. He's like, Fairbanks is holding. And I remember him looking at this, just the gnarliest, like, I think it was a down flat rail and it had a big drop on it. And he's like, you know, he's about not to stressed, it. really. No, not stressed at all. No, no. In a nor- like, like a normal person would be like, he's about to build a house right after he's done. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, I got to get this rail so I can go build this house later. But he's looking at it and he's because he's goofy mm-hmm. and he's like, OK, I can't hit it normal for me. I can't hit it my regular stance. And so he's like, oh, I'll just hit it switch. Yeah. And he did it. He would do that. So yeah. Switch 50 things that he couldn't regular 50, 50. He'd just be like, oh, I'll just do it backwards. Or he would do something <laughs> gnarlier. Like if it was on his backside and he couldn't back 50, he'd just board slide it. And it might, it might be wood. It might not, but he was just like, yeah, well. I'll just do it this way. I'll just do it like this. Yeah. <laughs> no thought process. Yeah. But he's he like, did it though. Like, just got to get to the end of the rail. Yeah. Or I'll half cab 50 it. Like I'll half cab on and yeah. regular, which is like just as gnarly. And uh, yeah, like that dude. So he calls me in the morning and he says, Hey, I got, well, not in the mor- morning for me at that time was like 12, maybe like 1130. I was probably still asleep. Um, and I think I was living with this guy, Rob and Victor Miller at the time. And we were like right in like the college district like a college house and i was living in their basement where they would dry their clothes and i would just like sit there and try to sleep amongst the spider in the laundry machine and uh so i was just sitting there amongst spiders and laundry just trying to like sleep off and i kind of had an idea that they wanted to go hit something but i didn't know what so i really didn't know that he was calling talking about this ledge so he calls me in the morning and he says the ledge is ready to go like, and I need help. Like I, you know, he didn't really have very many people at the time. He said, I need help setting this thing up. And we were already kind of on a crew and he was like, yeah, wake up, get your ass up. Let's do this. And sure enough, he shows up and like the city of Reno had like potholes of snow everywhere. And it was like, hardly anybody could get around, but I can't remember what car he drove, but somehow he finagled his way through all that new Year's snow and got to my house. And that wasn't that far away from the, uh, from the spot. It was right in the college district. And I get there and it's the Lawler ledge. And mm-hmm. I'm just like, oh, duh, of course he wants to hit this on New Year's Day. Like, why wouldn't he want to hit this? And I'm just like, oh my gosh, I'm hungover, which probably helped. Like, I probably would have psyched myself out or not even really thought about hitting it. But I mean, I was kind of in more of a pocket zone. And uh, I was just like, all right, all right. Jed, let's do this. And, you know, he's regular, so, or he's goofy. So he's like, all right, I'm going to, he was going to like front. Yeah. He wanted to front 50 it. And uh, yeah, he slapped it up there a bunch. You know, I hadn't hit it. Uh, We had kind of just started, started doing it. Gary's down there getting the angle right. Um, And obviously we're kind of like trying to get things done quickly because uh, the Reno security for the campus was pretty, they're pretty keen on shit that was going on around yeah. there because they'd already dealt with a lot of skateboarders. So they were kind of keeping an eye on stuff. So we were trying to bang it out as quick as possible. And Jed was just, you know, it's like that ledge is like bowling. You know, you're either going to get a strike or you're going to throw spares all day. So he's sitting there. He's trying it. He's trying it. He's trying it. And he's just like getting fed up. So, all right, someone else go. So I go up there and I'm like, well, I'm not sure as hell I'm not going to board slide this thing. So Jed's just like, <laughs> Jed's like, dude, just switch 50. Like Jed mentality. Yeah, yeah. And I'm just like, fuck. All right, fuck it. 
And so I'm like, well, I don't know. I guess it's not that different. You know, you just kind of get on and hold on and see if it'll happen. <laughs> different from what? That's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big ledge. It's a huge ledge, dude. And like, it's flat. The thing is flat. It kind of leans into the right, kind of leans inside. I mean, you got to, I mean, that those guys must have been like architectural geniuses if they could get that ledge completely flat all the way down. Mm -hmm. So the key is to get on that ledge on the inside. So anyways, we got Gary running around, you know, like, like getting this angle over here and then getting that angle over there because nobody, you know, we had one filmer, you know, and Gary's like, Gary was motivated, man. That guy was, I mean, if it wasn't for him in a lot of situations, I wouldn't have gotten a lot of the shots that I did. Um, but he, was just bouncing around, getting the right angle for everything. And then, so this is like, and I'm not to throw any, you know, but I'm pretty sure this is before Mac dog got there. Um, so we were hitting the sledge and then, and so we got, we got, I got kind of close randomly and I would just like, I just, I think it was like a fakie pop on. I'm pretty sure I like fakied onto this thing. Cause like I was terrified to like do an actual switch ollie up onto this thing. So I was like, whatever I can do to get on top of this thing. Mm -hmm. And the run-in's like four feet long. I'm pretty sure. Cause we had Jed's drop in and we had two shovels to tow us into it. So we didn't have anything but like a drop in and like four feet of distance before we jump onto this thing. And so it's so tight. It's tight, real tight. Like, and we're trying to be inconspicuous. So we got like, I can't remember who else. I mean, Roger, Roger Post was, I think was probably with us. And he was towing me in, him and Jed. And I mean, I, honestly, like when you're in a situation like that, it's kind of one of those things. It's like really hard to remember. But at the, I was like halfway through the kink and I had gotten on the thing early and I was going switch 50 and I went through the kink. And I just like, once I went through the kink, I like caught air off of that kink. And like landed back down, switch 50 50, and then just went off the went off the end. And it didn't even seem like it happened. Mm -hmm. And like, I was just like, I think it was like one out of eight tries or like something like that, like, uh, like around 10 tries it took me. And um, luckily, the other side of the ledge had like a grass field, so I could kind of, but you know, when you really commit, you come off on the inside, wasn't really too sweet. So I, I mean, this was like one of those where you just like hit the ledge, you end up making it and it's like so long and you're concentrated so hard on just like trying to stay on the ledge that once you get off the ledge and right away, you're like, did I do it? <laughs> and you're like, yeah, you fucking did it. Like, holy shit, you know? So I'm riding away and I just like look over at Gary and I'm, I just scream like, fuck. <laughs> and, and I'm looking at Gary and I've never seen uh, Gary's face, dude. Oh my God. Like, and you know what I'm talking about when someone gets a sick clip. Oh yeah. Gary's just like, <laughs> and like Rogers running down. And so I get psyched. And then, um, but, uh, Ryan wasn't there, Ryan Hughes. And, uh, Ryan was, Jed called Ryan. Cause I think Ryan was off. I think he might've been shooting somebody else. Cause there was, a couple of people in town at that time, I think. People had started to float in and I think he was kind of just pinging around. And uh, so he told Ryan that I had done this, done this ledge and Ryan was like, has anybody shot it? And he said, no. So we actually ended up going back to it later and uh, I hit it again um, after I initially did it the first time and we got the photo again. And 
So that's kind of the story behind that. Is we actually didn't have a photographer. We had one filmer, three writers, uh, one, like, I think it was like a 30 flat 40. Or I don't even know how big that thing is, actually. It's pretty big, though. Yeah, it's big. Like 20 flat 30. I don't know. Something, whatever. It was long. And uh, yeah, New Year's Day, um, hungover. Jed Hoffman woke me up, <laughs> tried his darndest, and then uh, tagged me in and slapped her up there within 10 and somehow laced it. And I mean, I couldn't have been with like more fun group of people at that time right there for like, and that, you know, we went off and did something else later, I think, or we helped like Jed or Roger do a shot in the, in the, cause it was like, that, that was kind of earlier in the day. So we were doing that one first. You had time, you had more time. Yeah. So we got that uh, somehow, we got that out of the way we had more time. So we were just like, all right, you know, like it's Roger a shot, Jed a shot. So we didn't hit that concrete ledge that went into the field, the stadium field, that shorter down concrete ledge. I think Lori Hadar did a back 5-0 on it. Okay. And um, uh, yeah, that might've actually been in one of the Think Thanks movies too. Um, but yeah, Laura did like a back, I think she might've met up with us later. And I think Laura did a back 5-0. I think Jed did a pretty sick back nose press on it. And that was the same rail that Roger front 270'd. Okay. With his helmet, he's like front 270, like Hail Mary. Yeah. I think it might've been one of the first front 270s he's ever done on her handrail. He's good at those. Oh man. Yeah. Oh yeah. He's, I mean, Roger, most underrated. For sure. Guy. Yeah. Holy cow. That guy's good. Yeah, he is. Very, very underrated rider. Um, but yeah, so that's basically it. We, uh, we hit that rail and, uh, then we got those shots for Roger and Laura and Jed and then, uh, Ryan Hughes, once he got a chance. So that whole stuff, we just let the spot set up. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we went back and I hit it again. And, and then he got the actual photo, which was ended up being my uh, checkout. And then- I And this was in Snowboarder? This was in Transworld. Transworld, okay. Transworld uh, checkout. And that was uh, that was the first legitimate magazine photo I ever got. And how many times did it take you when you went back? Uh, I got kind of lucky. <laughs> I think it might've been like one to five, I think. And I was, I was, that was, we didn't even film it. Cause I heard it was one. I, it might've been. That's pretty awesome. Thanks. <laughs> uh, we didn't even film it either. I might've been better than the, than the one they did film. I'm pretty sure it was better than the one they did film, but uh, we didn't even film the second one. We just took a photo. What was it like seeing your photo in the magazine for the first time? Uh, psycho. Like I couldn't believe it. I was just like kind of made you feel like you're a part of something just like part of the actual scene. You always kind of were around the scene. And like, after I moved down to, um, the lower 48, you know, you were amongst stuff. That's where Neil Proto and all those boys, you know, and Aaron Keen and, and, uh, Robbie Sell and Jared Johnson and, and like Pierre, like P hair that dude. I mean, those guys are like legends, you know? And, um, I think that's like Luke Matheson was friends with them for a while. And then he kind of uh, tagged along with us, started filming with us. Um, and just seeing that stuff going on and then seeing it like published was kind of more felt surreal and real. Like mm -hmm. it was just, I just was like, I didn't think I wasn't like, oh, I made it. I was just like, shit. Like <laughs> now it's like. Now it's like real. Like, I don't know. Like, I, I didn't really have any drive to do. I just was like psyched. 
Mm-hmm. I was just pumped, I guess, you know, more or less just like, oh, I got something like somewhere in something, you know, like, and, and it was just kind of more, I didn't like, cause like at that time I wasn't trying to get photos in magazines. I was just trying to get shots for Bertner mm-hmm. and like Ryan Hughes luckily was there like amazing photographer, obviously. Um, in his earlier days, you know, before he was um, working for uh, working for that magazine, uh, it was just uh, very lucky to have Hughes with us on those trips. And I can uh, Jed Hoffman was definitely a big big influence on having Ryan around because he was so motivated, mm-hmm. and uh, Ryan was psyched on that too. That Jed was so motivated to go get photos and stuff. And of course, Ryan was trying to build his portfolio. And, um, and so it was just, we were just, you know, stars aligned as far as just a lot of places to go get photos because he would, he would be there at like, like Jed Hoffman lined up a boreal photo shoot back in the day before, like there was Javasic and they had built like the first time they had built a jump off of the, um, and Javasic is the Javasic is the snowboard park at boreal mountain that was going on or the Javasic rail jam was like a thing but there was like i think it was the jabasic park which was like during the season but um they had built the first time you know that tramp there's a chairlift that they had torn down at boreal and i think it was one of the first times they'd ever built a jump off of it and so they built this big park jump and ryan hughes was there i got another photo published in frequency from that and it was just like they're just lucky to have him around and it was just more or less just trying to like please Bertner. I was just like, I just want to come out with some cool shit. So Bertner was like, psych, you know, mm-hmm. Bertner was mostly like a Bertner and Jed and just like the push to give him at least good content. So we could put it in the movie it was like a huge part in the motivation. But then seeing like the photos was just like almost like validation of like the hard work, but it wasn't like, I didn't feel it at the time. You know, I was just kind of like psyched, you mm-hmm. know, just like oh, living in the moment, whatever. But that's kind of like the main feeling that I would get when I would see stuff like that. So how much later was it that you got a pro model for Dinosaurs Will Die? I was riding for a snowboard company at the time. And uh, I was I was I was riding for option then. And uh, you know, shout out to uh Chad Perrin and uh shout out to Scotty Goodale, RIP. And um, all those guys at Option and Max von Marbod is the first guy I talked to, give me Option snowboards. He, um, so those guys were, I was riding for them for a long time and then Option went under. And then I was kind of like ping ponging off at different sponsors, sort of didn't really know what I was doing. And um, somehow it landed a a couple years with, a pretty new snowboard company, I think it was Signal, and I had ridden for them for a while. It was like three years or something like that. Granger, I think, actually hooked me up. Austin Granger uh, put me in plug with the uh, one of the guys that was running. I think Matt Hammer was part of it too, which was pretty amazing because we used to see Matt Hammer in like abs or uh, standard movies, and he was like kind of a goat. Yeah, you know, like a little like you know he was you know of of religious sides of things. You know, not necessarily like parallel to our sort of lifestyle but he was still like an incredible incredible snow mm-hmm. so i was riding with those guys and i think he had a family and he had his coffee business going on and i just kind of didn't really feel very not appreciated like i felt like appreciated that he was psyched that i was riding for those guys but 
I just felt like I was just kind of wanted to be more of a part of something. And I was at snowboard camp at High Cascade uh, one year. And I was just, I was like halfway through the summer. And I just was like, I, I was like my time to snowboard. I think it was like after one and us coaches got a chance to go snowboarding. And I was just like, what the fuck am I doing writing for this company? I have like one of my best friends that owns a snowboard company. Mm -hmm. What the, what am, I, the, what am I doing? Like, what am I striving for here? Sean Genovese. Yeah. Sean Genovese. Yeah. And Jeff Keenan. And I'm like, what am I like? I don't know. As a grown up moment, kind of, I guess. <laughs> so I have very few and far between with me. So, <laughs> um, so, I had this like moment where I was just like, what the, and I literally got off the mountain. I was like, what am I, like, what am I doing dude? Like what? And I was like, well, if I quit signal now, I won't have any outerwear. So I'm kind of screwed because signal was pretty much everything. They had boards, bindings, I think, or boards, boots. And I think I had like hand-me-down Granger bindings. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I had boards, I don't know, I didn't have boots. They had boards and outerwear and their outerwear was pretty sick. It was like from the same guy who designed planet earth. Oh, okay. Okay. So signal outerwear was off the same design of planet earth, um, which was like Matt Hammer's buddy. Cause he used to ride for planet earth and division 23, I believe, or I can't remember, but I think that, I think that's correct. Um, and so I just was like, I called Sean that night or like when I got off the mountain, I think I had like a Cobra dog and I had a stomach ache or something and <laughs> Cobra dog ca calmed it down. And, uh, I was all nervous and I was just, I didn't, I didn't, didn't even call signal and tell him like, I quit. I just, I called him later <laughs> after I, after I actually did. So I just like, I basically just called Sean and I was just like, Hey, I'm basically like fed up with what I'm doing. And I don't know why, but I just kind of told him that feeling that I had. Mm -hmm. And I told him I wanted to ride dinos. And I said, I wanted to ride dinosaurs for the rest of my life. And there's nothing, there's nothing else I want to do. And so he said, are you serious? And I was like, well, yeah, I'm dead, dead ass serious. Like as dead as it can be. Like, I'm sick and tired of like chasing the rabbit down the hole. And I was just like, I don't know why I didn't think of this earlier, but I have a good friend that has a snowboard company. And I don't know why I didn't even think about riding for you or even just like riding one of your boards, I think is what I was trying to do. Mm -hmm. Cause I was just like, if I'm going to ride for somebody and just like not get what I'd, I'd rather ride one of my friend's boards. And so he sent me a board, got there in two weeks, and um, I started riding dinos halfway through uh, summer camp of, I think, 2007, eight, maybe, 2007, 2008. Okay. And then that fall, Sean was like, we want you to film some stuff um, for a preseason edit. And so I was like, okay, cool. So we had this thing called the Bone Zone up at Brighton for a while. Well, not at Brighton at the moment, but we had a little spot called the Bone Zone that myself, Ted Borland, Sean Black, Alex Andrews, um, a handful of other people, Parker Duke, um, Blake Geis, who are now parts of Dinos. Uh, we were all in Utah at the time, and we all kind of had this like conglomeration of, of rails and, and like log jumps and all sorts of things up there as a preseason spot. So. He asked me to film this like little intro because they were gonna do like a like a movie or an intro like edit for the trade show for SIA. And so I filmed a bunch of stuff with Mike Mo, Mike uh, Morgan, um, who is from here. Um, and uh, so I filmed a bunch of stuff with him, and he 
gave all the footage to Sean and then I show up at the trade show in January and the video isn't of everybody. It's just me. And it's like an edit. And I'm just like, well, you know, maybe it's like, you know, like, well, like, oh yeah, we've got this guy riding for us now. Mm -hmm. And so after it ended, I'm just, I'm in the crowd with everybody else, you know, like, and the booth is there and, you know, I'm not really like necessarily a part of anything. I'm just like there to say what up to the boys. And they told, they told me that they're going to premiere their like little video that they had made and that I'd have some shots in it. And it was just all me. And then he just pulled the board out. I, I like, I think I peed a little bit <laughs> and for sure, I think so. I, you pulled the board on and it was your pro model. It was my pro model snowboard with my name on it and it had a skull and a diamond and it was like all old English. And he was like telling me like, what's your favorite band? Like a long time ago. And I was telling him like bone thugs and harmony is like my shit, you know, like that was like what I was down for. Like me and Steinbaugh would just listen to that on repeat. Mm-hmm. And so he just like came up with this graphic without telling me. And it was just insanely cool. Like just a skull like this emblem in between and he had like a diamond in the eye and there was like gold fronts on it and he was like all old english on the bottom and i like i lost it i was like holy shit i think i had like a i think i was like chewing at the time i had a dip in my mouth or something back then <laughs> and i had to go up i had this like can of dip spit like in a mountain dew bottle the <laughs> fat chaw and like that photo is still pretty funny you could probably find it on the internet but yeah when i first and you're holding it, the board right and i'm holding the board yeah, I've i don't seen know that if photo. you can tell there's a fat dip in my lip like <laughs> <laughs> and i just like i mean it was just so surreal like i definitely like peed and cried for sure i peed and cried <laughs> <laughs> that was a very pee and cry moment for me and then i guess since then i, I mean i couldn't be happier i couldn't be happier and do you still have a pro model that comes out? I do. Yes. Uh, thankfully, they're still throwing me in the dryer. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like making sure that I'm not, I'm not dry yet. You know, so still got a little juice left. So, um, yeah, dude, they uh, they're still hooking me up. Me and uh, so I had, a, I had another board that came out the year after that because um, Sean said he wanted to continue the line, and uh, him and I kind of created that second pro model, which was like based off the Benjamin Franklin. And I still want to incorporate the skull and the gold teeth and whatnot and kind of play off the board before. And so that's how that sort of started. And every single snowboard that has came out um, of mine has had something from the snowboard previously before. So it's kind of like a timeline sort of, so to speak. So you can kind of get like the newest one um, has or the one that's for sale now is like the one with the turtle and it has all of the old board graphics in the treasure chest really at the bottom yeah so every single snowboard like has a little bit of the previous model like encompassed in it so it's kind of like not really a series but um right now i just released the eighth one that i've had so far so and actually i should say after the one that sean and i designed I ended up having a, a meeting with Big Mike, um, Mike Gonzalez, who's uh, Zeech Man. And uh, we started talking about graphic design and stuff. And he was like, I really want to do a board for dinos. And I'm like, we should do mine, dude. Like, your shit's sick. And he's like, oh, I'm down. And I was like, I think we we're at Bear Mountain. And I was like, <laughs> it was like, we were just on the, on the lift. And I was like, dude, my favorite drink is like 40 and OJ, dude, for sure. And he's like, we should do a brass monkey. 
and I was like, dude, let's do this. And I like, we kind of came up with the concept and it was like the, the, uh, the sit, the little monkey with the symbols. And we just put forties in his hands and then just went like rough draft after rough draft after rough draft. And then the, that's where my legacy with, um, not, not legacy, but that's where my start with, um, uh, with, uh, Zeech man, uh, big Mike, that's where that started from. And then he's done my graphic ever since. And so from that board, the very first one that he designed the brass monkey, we brought that back this year. Mm -hmm. And so this year the brass monkey is back on my snowboard. And, uh, I can't really tell you the exact concept yet, but the, I mean, I mean, you can check the, check the Instagram plug, got a photo on there. It's <laughs> pretty sick. <dude. laughs> but yeah, we brought back the brass monkey. I kind of had a concept of big Ben, the clock from uh, the one in London. So it's, I don't know, it's just kind of a lot of stuff going on. I wanted to incorporate like time, like, you know, there's only so much you got. So mm -hmm. you might as well use what you got what you can. And then bringing back some, some of the old graphics and, and, and stuff like that. So uh, everything that has come from the beginning has had a little bit to do with the next board. Builds on it's, each other. Builds on each other is sort of the concept, yeah. So looking back on your snowboard career, what do you think has been your kind of main contribution or maybe the contribution you're most proud of? My most proud contribution to snowboarding is probably being able to work as a coach. Um, just working at High Cascade every summer, I think like really lets you see, I mean, it goes the same thing with being a teacher, you know, being a, a scholastic teacher and, and like, and just the normal uh, world of of, uh, of kids, you know, because kids are our future. And it's just, it's incredible to be able to impact somebody, you know, on a physical, mental level. Um, even though you only get these kids for 10 days, you know, eight days of snowboarding. I think that's my favorite part about it, is being able to like still be a part of snowboarding. Still have like a, a snowboard with my name on it, but just having the ability to have these kids, and a lot of them are return kids too. But I don't know, just being able to be at Hood or, you know, to be in a coaching environment is really cool. And then, of course, you know, the bonuses to snowboarding during the winter and stuff is awesome, too. But, you know, I, still as a kid uh, at heart, I still look forward to the summers, you know, even though if it's like a session or if it's for the whole summer, it's still really cool. So, and you still do that? Yeah, I do. Um, Hopefully, I mean, we'll see. I'm, I'm kind of trying to apply. I got a couple of aspects going on, hopefully, with... uh. A couple of different groups uh this next year for uh actual coaching during the season mm -hmm. not so much coaching just in the summertime so uh we'll see how that pans out but i have a couple of different options currently that may make me move from salt lake city maybe not um there's a couple things going on in utah as well as far as camp development is concerned that i've been striving for so um I don't know. I think that's probably something that's really interesting to me. Is uh, and that's probably one of the biggest things I think I've taken from snowboarding is just to be able to still do it physically at 36, and also to be able to impact and teach kids at the same time who are made of jelly beans and elastic. <laughs> so, I mean, just like you said, with that kid launching out of his damn boots. And tomahawking and tacoing on that lip. <laughs> and he just gets up with a mouthful of snow. He's like, where's the sandwiches? <laughs> you're just like, all right, yeah. You're going to be fine. <laughs> Do you think that that's a, 
a new outlook on your uh, your snowboard career? Or do you think that it's it's developed over time? I'd say it's definitely developed. It's developed because I mean, you know, when we're younger and young and hungry, you're still trying to like get the shot, do that thing, and I still definitely am. And it's definitely not hard to pull that trigger. It's not hard to muster up that confidence, or not confidence, but it's not hard to muster up the old, you know, start the engine and get it going. Like that kind of mental process for me isn't tough, but the ability to teach kids is like just grown more and more throughout the years. I just like, I don't know, as you get older, you start to like realize how important it is to impact these kids' lives. And now I also realize why Jesse Bertner did that for me as well bring me up and help me with 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 his company and think tank and and having these people like myself and kirk steinbaugh and darian draper and yourself and gus and and um gus Engle and like all these people like gus amazing kid man yeah like, oh my god like and to see what he's doing now is so incredible like he's in a band now he's just like i mean he's an incredible human you know i just hope i get a chance to talk to him in the next couple of uh, you know, very soon or just to see him, you know, it's like, I haven't seen you in a long time either, but I think it definitely has grown like that, that desire to impact people just solely based off of how the people before me, like Jesse and, and uh, Sean a little bit and like Borkstead too, as well, mm -hmm. um, helped put us on, you know, like that was a huge thing for us. And like, eternally grateful. I mean, there's no way to even be like, forever like it'd be forever grateful but it, it's, there's no way to really describe how grateful you can be just like as far as they know how appreciative it is and then you can take that turn it around as you get older and use that to your advantage for what they did for you and that's i think a growing aspect in what i'm doing right now so i mean you know obviously 40 50 years old hopefully i'll be the gooch doing a cap nine you know like he is which would be sick for sure brian and gucci yeah yeah legend you know like that guy out there with like i mean he's got he's got people like t rice up there still like rubbing his legs getting warmed up for like those kickers you know it's like those it's cool to, like have that kind of youth around you it keeps you young mm -hmm. you know and uh with people like brian and gucci and people like like just to kind of like connect that, not necessarily, I've never met the guy, you know, like all these years of being around snowboarding, I've never met the guy, but just to kind of like collaborate with the fact that he has always had that kind of mentality and always had that desire and, and whoever else is willing to share that desire with him, he's like an open book. And it's mm -hmm. like cool that he's created these like relationships with these people and it does keep you young. And I think that coaching kids has kept me young too. So I just picked up my phone and Madison yep. Blackley. Oh yeah. What's up Mads? Asks the story of sticking his hand in a deep fryer. Oh, well I am, I, I, I cook. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a chef. In uh, in a couple establishments, I was a uh, I was cooking at a place called Spadelli's, which uh, I'm sure a couple people have heard of. It's a pizza shop, and then that uh, it's owned by Max Spadell and Sam Spadell. It's great, great, great guys. Um, so I kind of started doing a little bit of cooking lately, and I I started to get good at it, and I started working at a, a bar and restaurant, and um. 
you know, I was just, you just get carried away so much. Like I think on the aspect of just working in a, in a, in a fast paced environment is kind of like snowboarding at the same time. You're just kind of concentrated on what's going on directly in front of you. And it's like, you know, like a meal ticket line, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like I, when you're starting to cook stuff and, and working in the food service industry, um, as I was doing, uh, that stuff gets pretty hectic at, at some times. And, um, you know, when we're in the heat of a rush, sometimes things can get a little bit hectic and there's, you know, there's all sorts of kitchen appliances. And so I decided to, uh, you know, we're, we, we deep fry some sides and stuff like that. And I'd thrown down a wrong side. I'm pretty sure. And I think I threw down like mozzarella sticks when I should have thrown down, I think a side of fries. And without even thinking about it, I was like, just went and just put my hand in the deep fryer and grabbed out the mozzarella sticks. Oh my God. It was like 350 degree deep frying oil. And, and how uh, was your hand? Actually, currently right now is the reason why I have this prescription lotion that I brought in here with me for your today hand. is for my hand. Yeah. Okay. And so if you can tell, uh, it's just about there. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's just about there. So yeah. we're almost ready for the season. <laughs> How long ago was you that? You know I still wouldn't be able to grab melon though. <laughs> it doesn't matter whether my hand's burnt off or not. There's no melon here. Jesse <laughs> Bird can, can contest to that. Um, yeah, that was like a couple months ago. Well, it's looking better. I, I mean, know. That's it's scary. Insane. It's super crazy. But yeah. yeah. So I, I just, it was just one of those moments where you just like kind of, you don't even think and you're like in the middle of a rush and you're just like, oh shit, that was supposed to be fries. I just went and grabbed them out of the deep fryer and just like, oh yeah, why don't you just put your hand in 350 degree oil? Gosh, that's like so gnarly. Second. I got to go home. Yeah. <laughs> so I got to go chill, but that was after I went to the ER. So that was pretty sweet. Jeez. I mean, it's not like that. I mean, it's just, I'm sure that has happened to a lot of people for yeah. sure in this, in this, um, in this cooking game. In this but. cooking, I knew you were going to say game. In this cooking game. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you can take the gangster out of the hood, but you know. <laughs> can't take the hood out of a G. Oh, you could take the gangster out of a food court, but you can't, you know. <laughs> food court gangster for life, man. <laughs> Keep it hood. So I have one more question, and that is. Shoot away, McGavin. I always use you as an example of longevity in snowboarding. And oh, if thanks, you, man. and if you, you're welcome. <laughs> thanks, man. And if you stay in the industry long enough, you will kind of etch out this little niche for yourself. Yeah. And I guess to just put this on, on the record, I, I personally think you are one of the most naturally talented snowboarders I know that I've ever known. It I remember one to know one, my dog. <laughs> so what do you think about the, the idea of longevity within snowboarding and that being achieved by just being good and staying in the industry. I think honestly, that's up to you as an individual. Um, it's your choice whether you want to keep doing that stuff or not. And, you know, for me, uh, it's my choice to stick to go into hood in the summers. Um, it's my choice to stick around and it was all that stuff really helps. Um, tremendously as well as having people like jesse and sean having just faith in you not you know and that kind of stuff pushes you too like not wanting to let somebody down 
which is a real thing, you know, like it's, 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 it's good to think of other people invested into yourself and them as well. Mm -hmm. And that kind of stuff really motivates you, I think. And it's like, it's, it really is up to you as far as longevity is concerned, you know, you're going to be great at what you're going to do no matter what I think. And, uh, as long as you stick with it, whether it be snowboarding or being a, a engineer like Steinbaugh's become, mm -hmm. or a musician like uh, Robbie Gonzalez has become, or sticking around in the industry like Burtner has done. Um, you're gonna be good at what you do as long as you stick to what you're good at. And I think that keeps you young. And whether you do that recreationally uh, on the side, like if you still go snowboard, or whether you do that for a living, um, as long as you just do that, I, there's nothing that can make you not continue on. Like I know a lot of people still snow, like Landvik, incredible, incredible human. Mm -hmm. I mean, that guy has stuck with everything and I's doing like woodworking and all sorts of different art stuff. And if you just stick to what you want to do, you're gonna be good at doing that. And you can make money doing a lot of things nowadays in this world through how this whole world is like now developed. It's so individual. Mm -hmm. Like I was saying earlier, you can film yourself now, you know, you can make your own business. You can do a lot of stuff on your own that a lot of people don't realize you can do because they may be a little bit younger and that may just be something that they were born into. Mm -hmm. And so it's harder for them to see that there's, they can be their own individual. And I think that it's really important to take that into consideration when you're doing something because you literally have free marketing at your fingertips. Like, whereas you never had that kind of thing before. Mm -hmm. Like we had to wait for videos to come out. You have videos coming out instantaneously now, or you had to look for a marketing firm to contract out to help you with your company. Now you can just market it yourself. Mm -hmm. So as long as people understand that the social media thing and I, I embrace it. I think it's great. I think it's. I think it can get overwhelming sometimes. I think it can get oversaturated sometimes, but I also see the good in it as well. I think like that in alone can help you in longevity and whatever you decide to do, as long as you want to do that and just don't forget about you know what you used to do as a kid. You know, like if you used to play golf as a kid and now you're a you know, underwater basket weaver, go hit a couple, you know, <laughs> go hit a couple drives at the thing, you know? Yeah. You know, don't hold your breath for too long. Go to Top Golf or something, you know? <laughs> <laughs> go to Top Golf. <laughs> yeah, who knows? Maybe you'll crank one out and Shooter McGavin will see you and put you on his tour. <laughs> Maybe you'll make 10 cup too. Who knows? You know, I'm just saying. Uh, it's just, you know, you just can't forget about your roots. And every lot of people that I have stayed in contact with um haven't and i think that's helped me a tremendous amount because you don't you don't want to like you just don't want to get caught up in stuff that just doesn't matter um and a lot of stuff doesn't matter but and a lot of still that stuff that doesn't matter you still pay attention to involuntarily but um and that's okay too but um it's just important i think just to remember and just to feed off each other don't lose your friends Mm -hmm. don't lose the people that care about you the most because if you care about somebody else and they care about you back, you guys are going to help each other succeed. Mm -hmm. And I think that creates longevity as well. And I think just having friends and, and having family and no matter how long or how short it's been that you've seen them to keep that connection alive. Like I guarantee you, I haven't seen Dre in over like 
12 years or 13 years and it just go right back to the same kind of thing that we're doing right now. Yeah. And it's just that kind of stuff you just can't forget. I think that creates longevity is just to not dwell or think on the past. Just like remember where you came from, what you do, what you enjoy to do. And don't forget about what you enjoy to do, regardless of what you're doing now. You can always go back and do whatever you want, but it may not make you money, but it'll bring you happiness. And as long as you have some way to sustain yourself, like you have to nowadays, you got to pay rent, you got to pay bills. I get that. But I mean, there are so many things out there that you can like do for yourself that you used to do as a kid that, that, uh, that keeps you young, whether you've always been designing bridges or whether you have always been snowboarding or skateboarding or skiing, not razor scootering. You can find a skateboard. Someone will, <laughs> I will buy you a skateboard. <laughs> I will buy you a skateboard. I promise you. And they're cheaper. <laughs> I and I know someone's gonna give you. Oh well, you got a hundred hundred bucks, dude. Hook me up. <laughs> someone's gonna be like, buy me a skate. But yeah, you know, like I, it's just, just don't forget about what keeps you young. I guess. Yeah, I don't like stress, it. man. You know. <laughs> yeah, don't stress. Don't stress. You know, buy a gold chain, make yourself feel dope, get a haircut. <laughs> you know. So speaking, get your neck lined up. Speaking of roots. <laughs> To close this out, do you want to hit me with a can't a can't stay a stop? Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Hit me with a bow yeah. Oh bow yeah. A uh, haiku that is uh, understood by no one. <laughs> is that what a bow yeah is? <laughs> <laughs> I guess <laughs> it's the most non-distinctful haiku possible. Yeah, I think uh, I don't know, man. Once you start, you can't not stay stop forever. That's great. <laughs> Dude, thanks for being on That's the show, man. haiku, I guess. <laughs> yeah, thank you for having me, Codeman. Love you, bud. Love you, too. For more information about how you can support local grassroots journalism, go to www.patreon.com slash crude magazine. Crude Conversations is written, hosted, and produced by me. Cody Liska for Crude Magazine. Music was produced by Alcoda Beats. 